0: Good evening, everybody. We're excited that you have joined us on this first Sunday of Advent, otherwise known as Be Rich Sunday. Uh, yeah, come on. Man, we have already had uh, such a wonderful day uh, today. We, we, had, uh, we, we flipped the service times at the front, and uh, we had more people in traditional service at 9 o'clock this morning than I think we have had in a while, uh, which is ironic and wonderful. Um, at 11 o'clock, there was 300 people in here. Um, we had to have five stations for communion. Um, I had two here, two there, and Jenna and I ran upstairs to the balcony. And what I told them was, "You got the A team upstairs, man. You, when, you get, when you get communion from the pastor's wife and the pastor, it's like receiving it from Jesus Himself." You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and so it was just—it was packed. It was a madhouse, and and everybody went down uh, to Fellowship Hall. And Maggie, who's standing in the back, has done such a great job of of decorating that and setting it up, and um, be Rich, the market is down there, and I think you have some sheets uh, that you may have picked up on your way. They're skinny little sheets, and it talks about the different ministries that we're doing. And for those of you that don't know, we, we, every, every year, in, well, the last two years in November, we do a series on giving and, <clears throat> and generosity, and, um, and then we, we focus one Sunday in December, and everything we bring in on that Sunday, and really in that week digitally, because a lot of you give online. Um, we send right out the doors. Uh, we send to different ministries that we want to focus on that are doing things better than we could, right? The church used to do all the things that they do, but we stopped a long time ago and, and they do it better now um, because that's all they focus on. And so we should support them in, in the work that they do. And, and so this year we chose Snack Pack for Kids, Blueprint Ministries, Church Under the Bridge, and Convoy of Hope. And um, and, and so there are four booths with all of their information, and they had some folks there this morning. I'm not sure if they're going to be there this evening, but, and then we have booths on the outside um, of the different ministries of, of St. Andrews, and we would love for you after this service, I'm going to preach shorter than normal today. Okay, thank you, yeah, <laughs> just, I didn't, woo, yeah, uh, exactly. So I'm going we're going to get out at the same time, because um, I, you know, if, when I look at, I preach to a clock, essentially, is what I do, is I, I kind of fill time, and Right now I'm going, wait, I only have two minutes left. Oh no, I have an hour left. I mean, cause it's just about six o'clock which is when we normally start. Um, so this is great. Uh, but we will run down, we're gonna finish early, go down there to see and to answer any questions but everything we take in goes straight out. And last year was $25,000 and I challenged the church uh, a few Sundays ago to, to pray about it and think about it so that we could beat last year's. And, and you may be thinking, why give an entire Sunday of your best month away? Because that's what we should do. Um, that's, that's the kind of life that we should live. That's the kind of spirit that we should have. Even though we take a third of our budget in the month of December, we need to take one of those Sundays and give it away. Um, because that's what God called us to do. And so we want to live a life of generosity in our church and the people of the church. And so this is why we're doing Be Rich Sunday today. And So I'm excited about that. Um, also, the live nativity is this Friday. Uh, I'm excited about the Live Nativity. It will be, there are two shows, 5:30 and 7, right outside on the lawn right here. They had two rehearsals today uh, that I hear went very, very well. Uh, I wasn't here. My part doesn't change. It's the same every year. They give me a script, and I read. Um, so as long as I can read. I mean, they said the, 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 the rehearsal went great. I was like, so if I mess it up, it, if it messes up, it's on me. And I'm like, yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll prepare to, to get it right this year. Um, So we're excited about that. Please come and and be a part of that. There will be the the nativity show out there and then a whole bunch of stuff going on um, inside uh, Fellowship Hall. So today we begin our series, uh, four-part series in uh, Advent, this Advent series that uh, we're focusing on, Isaiah chapter 9, really verse 6. And and, and what's happening in Isaiah in the season of Advent, you know, it's this time of preparation, right? And we want to talk about Jesus and sweet little baby Jesus. And um, but, but we want to talk about who he is And, and this year what I decided to do was, was to look at some of the names that Isaiah gives him um, In Isaiah chapter 9 Because, you know, we just sang a song about Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel, God with us And that's a name that we want to focus on with Jesus but, but really that was more of a common name Like, how many of you know a Jesus or a Jesus? How many of you in this room have met a Jesus in your life? You live in San Antonio, you all have, right? I mean, come on you know, so, I mean, someone came up to me after 11 o'clock. She's like, I have three Jesuses in my family. I was like, that's amazing. You're so holy. Um, but, you know, so, so yeah, so it's kind of like that, that that name is kind of was, was there, but the names that Isaiah gives him in this are totally something different and it sets him apart as something because names mean something, right? You, you put a name, you give a name to someone and, and, and you, you say this about them. Like my name, Michael, means one who is like God, True statement, man. I'm not. I can't make this stuff up. And I know you all knew that already, but I just wanted to throw it out there for you that you know it just these names means. But what Isaiah is doing is, is is he's doing two things here because he's responding to what happens in Isaiah seven and eight when King Ahaz of Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, um, gets in this really rock and a hard place with Israel and Assyria, and 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 God says, hey, this is what I will do for you. Just just try me. Ask me for this and. And and Ahaz is like, eh, I don't think so. And so God's like, okay, (laughs) a great time of darkness is going to fall. And so Isaiah is responding to this saying, but it won't always be this way. Like there will be an immediate end to our problems and our heartache. But then he's calling a shot much, much further out. And he's calling the shot about who Jesus would be. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says this. It says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness in seven and eight that he's foreshadowing and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing their plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will have no end. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have to tell you, even as I'm reading that, I'm I'm jumping translations as I'm saying it. (laughs) Like I didn't read it the straight way in here because just some verses you go back to. All right, the original translation, you heard it in. But. So, so this, is, this is the labels, the names that Isaiah puts on Jesus and says, who this son who is, will be born will be, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But he begins with the, the Pele Ya'etz, which is wonderful counselor. Say Pele Ya'etz. Pele, it's this wonderful counselor, and what he's doing, and, and man, this is a really important one for this time of year, really. What he's doing is he's setting up Jesus as, as something amazing, because Pele means extraordinary soccer player. So true. I love the worship team saw that joke coming, they're like, oh, I love it from earlier. Yeah, no, it doesn't, you know, it it, it, it means... It means a word so wondrous. Like if you have something that you need to describe that's just amazing and wonderful and great and you just, you don't have a word for it, Pele is your word. It's this experience that is so unbelievable. Your mind is blowing. I can't explain how awesome and wonderful this is. Pele. And so what he's doing is he's setting us up like like the word wonderful doesn't really set it up as well. The word wonderful doesn't grasp what Isaiah is trying to get at. He's like, he is going to be so good at ya etzing, at counseling. Now, counselor, in, in the vision of what he has here, and the word that he uses here, would be, would be picture a king and the right-hand guy, the person who is giving them wisdom and advice and guidance. That's what this is. It's somebody who sits back, and what he's saying is, is Jesus is just going to blow your mind about how great he is at giving you wisdom and guidance. Jesus is going to be this person, when this son is born, when this child is, is given, there, he will be someone who is so adept at giving you wisdom that you will always know which path to take. He will be somebody who, as who the, the writer of Hebrews says, he says it this way, he goes, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this wonderful counselor, this, this person who's gonna give this amazing guidance can do so because he knows. He can do so because he's been there. He's not someone who is so distant and removed from our own stories that it's just like, well, here's some ideas and thoughts. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what I know. It's, I've shared this story so many times that it shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. But in my, in my college years, I got off the rails a little bit. I dabbled in a lot of drugs and alcohol and and craziness and darkness, and I was in a dark place searching for something to give me wholeness that wouldn't. But that gives me insight into people who are struggling with the same thing. Like that, that gives me position to speak into someone's life who's dealing with that much more so than a pastor who has never gone through any of that, or than a person who's never gone through any of it. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this Pele this, Yetz, this wonderful counselor, someone who, who gets it, who knows what it feels like to be alone, who knows what it feels like to be betrayed, who knows what it feels like, fill in your blank, because he's been there, because he's been there, and because He cares More so, he he wants to be here and to be that wonderful counselor for us. He wants to, in fact, that's why he came, right? Remember that, um, the story of Jesus is walking around and he's gathering his disciples together and and I think Luke tells it best. Jesus comes and he calls Matthew to be his disciple and Matthew's this tax collector, like, oh, like, tax collectors, nothing's changed about them. In thousands of years, people don't like to hear those two words together, right? It, it is just, they, they were, back then, they were, the, they were just horrible people. They were unethical. They would step on the backs of their fellow Jews to get ahead. They were collecting money for the Roman government and for the temple government and all the different things. But they would also collect money for just themselves. And they would just screw down on people to get every little drop that they could, And so they were people that you would not associate associate with. No good Jew would associate with a tax collector except just to pay taxes and then to go get clean from having dealt with them. But Jesus calls him to be his disciple. And Matthew, do you remember what Matthew does? He's like, yes, dude, this is amazing. Let's have a party, right? I mean, he must have lived in Alma Heights. He's like, let's get styrofoam cups printed. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Everybody's going to come over. We're going to have this great time, at a huge party, and he invites all of his friends. He invites all these tax collectors, and he invites all these people who live on the street, like, in that kind of way. And he invites all these people, like, that watch R-rated movies before they should. You know, all these people that you would never want to hang out with. And he brings them in to this whole party scenario. And, and Jesus goes in to have this dinner with them and the Pharisees and religious leaders are like, are you, are you kidding me? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Do you see who he's hanging out with? He's hanging out with all these dirty people. Do you remember what Jesus says? He goes, Yeah, the healthy, they don't need a doctor. I didn't come for them, I came for the sick. I didn't come to help the righteous, I came to help the sinners. I came to help the people who've lost their way. I came to help the people who find themselves in a place because of their own doing or something that happened to them where they've gotten off center and they're walking down this path that they know they shouldn't be on. Those are the people who I came to help. I came to advise and to give counsel and to to bring them back. That's why I'm here. I'm here to bring them back. At this time of year, it's, it's a wonderful time. I love this time of year. I, I love the trees. I love when we decorate in here. It looks so amazing. And, and I always get bummed. I thought about it this morning, like, because I was sitting up here at the traditional service and I was kind of hidden. And I kind of liked it, really. Uh, I got to sit up there and just kind of look at people behind the tree like that. It's a little creepy, maybe. But um, I was sitting, sitting up there and, and I love it. And I thought about the time when we're going to have to put it away. I'm like, oh, it'll look so naked. You know it always looks so great, and then you put it away. It's just like the church is naked. Um, <laughs> like it just really cover up. It's weird, but but I love this. I, I love everything about this time of year. I, my son got an elf costume um, this past week. His his aunt from Seattle gave him an elf costume, and I don't know if you've seen him lately, but he's rather large. Um, and he put it on, and it fit him perfectly, and he looked like elf. And he started walking around the river like this, and he was running in, going, "Who? And, you know." Uh, but of the Elf, what's your favorite color? I mean, he was throwing all these different lines out. And it was so funny. I was dying laughing. I'm like, yes. Oh, I love this time of year. We've already watched Christmas Vacation. Anybody else? Already watched it? Yes, it is our Friday thing, man. We, this is what we do on Friday after Thanksgiving. We've watched Elf. We've watched Christmas Vacation. We've watched Santa Claus. We're blowing through them. Because um, we just love it. But you know the other thing about this time of year is depression, anxiety, stress, All of these things are so amplified this time of year. All of them just are ratcheted up. All of these things that weigh down upon us at this time of year for some reason, I don't know why, they become larger. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm here. When you celebrate Advent and you remember that I came, remember why I came, so that I could help you when you're sick. So I can give you wisdom and advice and in a way only I can to bring you back. And, and, and so I guess the question is, where, where are you sick? Where are you hurting? Where are you lost? Where do you need to cry out and say, God, I, I need some, some guidance here, some wisdom. And when you ask, remember that he's going to answer but the first thing you have to do before you even ask is you've got to come to a place where you're going to be brutally honest about it. You're going to be brutally honest with Jesus about where you are. and It's not because he doesn't know. It's so that you're honest with yourself, right? You have to just open yourself up. Do you remember the story? Jesus is walking along, and it's the heat of the day, and he stops at this well. And there's a woman there, a Samaritan woman. And, and a good Jew would never speak to a Samaritan woman. But, of course, he's Jesus. He's a better Jew, right? And he and He does. And he talks to her, and he engages with her, and he's like, hey, asks her for some water. He's like, hey, man, it's kind of a long journey. Can a brother get some water? And she's like, I can't believe you're talking to me. And he says, go get your husband. you remember this? Do you remember what she says? She goes, I, I don't have a husband. Now, think about it from her standpoint. She doesn't know who he is. She just knows it's a Jewish man. She doesn't know that he's a rabbi at this moment. She certainly doesn't know what she will find out in a few minutes. She could have said, well, my husband's at work. He's busy. He can't come. My husband's off at war. He's busy. He can't come. No, there's no way he can possibly make it. She could have covered it up. She could have created a falsehood. She could have created a facade that we all do, especially around this time of year how is everything? Oh, everything's fine. But she didn't. She was honest with him. She said, I don't have a husband. And do you remember what Jesus does? He goes, no kidding. You've had five, and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. But then he introduces himself. And it was because she was honest. See, if she had had lied about it, if she had covered it up, if she had held it back, the conversation would have ended. But she was honest. And because she opened herself up, Jesus continued. And Jesus entered in. We have to be brutally honest. We have to be totally open so that God can move. I have to tell you, today's been really tough for me. I have struggled quite a bit today. I have felt sick. I went home after the, I don't know, after we we shut everything down here, and I went home, and I I think I slept for three and a half hours, which is really going to stink tonight. Um, I said we had five service stations for communion at the 11 o'clock. And when I got here, I was, I was like, hey, man, we probably need four. And then I saw all the people in the balcony, and I, and I knew the time, and I wanted to finish early so that we could go and do Be Rich Sunday. And I'm like, man, we don't have time to bring the balcony people down, so I call an audible, and I'm like, hey, balcony people, we will come to you. And I immediately run into the sacristy. I grab another chalice. Thankfully, we have five um, I filled it up with some juice. I got some of the bread out. Um, I did my little blessing over it. And I ran out this way. And Jenna's sitting, she had already come through to get, get to communion. I'm sitting down. And I look at her and I'm like, just stare at her, you know? And she's like, what? I'm like, go with me. You know, and she gets up and she comes and she's saying hi to people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, and we, we get up and then we, and then we go to do communion up there. And then I run back down and I come up here and they're finishing their song. And I'm out of breath and I'm like, here we go. Okay. The reason that happened and the reason that I had to disappear in the first song tonight to go get the gluten-free crackers because I knew there was at least one um, who was going to be serving say, Ashley Blake who needs the gluten-free. And then the Joffe kids are here as well. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, we got to have those. And nobody set them out. Because the person who has prepared communion for me for my entire ministry almost is about to meet Jesus. She's been given moments, hours to just a few days, and you all know her. You've seen her. She's been here since I've been here. She stands in the back. She's about this tall, strawberry blonde, and her hands are always up in worship. She dances up and down, loves to be here. She loved to be with me at the the other church, and in fact, she's She's not just an important part of my ministry. She's an important part of my family. When Grace was in a body cast, we had to, it was a cast from here down to, to both ankles. She, she, it was it was good because we always knew where she was, wherever we left her, right? And but we, we on Sunday mornings we would come in and, and and Debbie had created this bag that that said "Property of Grace Crocker. Do not remove." And I think it said under penalty of death or something like that, but she wrote on this and, and inside of it were Velcro strips, These strips of these really heavy duty Velcro because she would sit in, in the, um, I can't remember what that room was called, the parlor I guess, right outside where I did the services and, and she would have Grace on the couch and she would just rip them apart and put them back together because Grace would giggle uncontrollably with that noise. Just, and she'd start like that over and over again. And she had these books in there that had tactile stuff that she could feel and a little phone and she just, she cared for her so I could preach and so Jenna could worship. I can't tell you the amount of times that they have been, she and her husband, have been to our home and shared meals with us or allowed me and Jenna to go somewhere else and leave our kids. I can't tell you how important she is in our life. On Thursday, we got a call that things that I'd been with her last Saturday in the ER and, and we had a plan and everything and, and then all of a sudden on Thursday it, it really bottomed out and we were called and said, you need to come say goodbye. And so we were out in Seguin, and we drove in, all, all four of us, and we went in to see her and she was, she was in and out of consciousness at this moment. And Corbin didn't want to go because his cousins were there, and he was angry because he's a tweener. What are you going to do? And Grace wanted to see her, but Grace didn't understand until she got there. And we go into this room, and, and her husband is just you know, sobbing and giving us hugs, and, and, and we're all crying, and, and we pray. And, and Corbin has just such great, sweet moments with her, talking to her, giving her a hug, saying, I love you. And Grace is super, super quiet. And if you know Grace and have been around her, this is a rarity, especially when she's around these two, Ronnie and Debbie. She's never quiet around them. But she knew something different was happening. And so I go over to her and, and I'm hugging on her and she's thanking her. And I said, Debbie, I'm praying for a miracle because I believe in a God of miracles I believe that God can turn this around but I also believe in a God who who prepares a room for us and when he's ready he'll come get us and if you get to see Jesus soon the first thing I need you to do is say hey there's a little girl Grace and I need you to heal her would you put in a good word for me And her eyes were closed, and I didn't know if she was hearing me at this point, but she smiled and said, you betcha. I've never thought about communion. I've never thought about the bread or the juice or the cups because it was always done. I never thought that grace would be loved when she was at church, when Debbie was here, because I knew that regardless of what was happening, Debbie would find her. So today was a struggle for me. It has been a struggle for me. And one of Jenna's biggest uh, pet peeves about the church is we're not honest with one another. As we come into a church and we say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine when in truth, we're breaking inside. And what Jesus wants us to do is say, hey, when I'm asking you how you're doing, I want to know. I want you to be honest with me. When I ask you to go get your husband, don't lie to me, because I already know, and I want you to confront it. If you really want guidance and wisdom and counsel, then open yourself up to me. And then listen. Listen. Because if we, if we open ourselves up and that's all we do, that's great and we'll get a good cry on or whatever it is, but, but we won't move anywhere. We won't, we won't get to where God wants us to go. When Jesus is with the disciples, he takes three disciples up up the side of this mountain once, if you remember, and, and then God just, trans, it's called the transfiguration, right? He makes them like this glow-in-the-dark superhero thing, like shining really bright. And and these three disciples are looking, and they're like, holy cow, what just happened? And then Moses and Elijah come down, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's Moses and Elijah. And they're having this mind-blowing moment, and they want to build these altars to each one. And then they hear God speak from heaven to these disciples. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Because he knows what he's talking about. Listen to him because he knows those moments where in your dark places, he knows how to bring the light in. Listen to him because when you're in a corner, he knows how to get you out. Listen to him because he knows your hurt. He knows your heartache. He knows what you need to hear. Jesus will say it later after this moment. He's like, hey, the sheep know my voice. They will listen for the shepherd and they know my voice. It's like. Those of you who have kids, you ever been in a, in a crowd and there's a whole bunch of kids and you know your kid's voice? Like you hear somebody scream, mom, and you're like, not mine, not mine, don't care, right? Maybe you care, but you know. But then that one voice comes up and you're like, oh, that's mine, because you know it. Because you know it intimately. You, you, you spend so much time with it and. And so what Jesus is asking us is to know his voice. And in order to know his voice, we gotta hear his voice all the time. In, in order to follow what God says, listen to him. We gotta we got read him, we gotta hear him. And, and then we gotta do what he says. And we have to do it. If we just open ourselves up and we just listen, we don't do, then we've still lost. The, the rich young ruler Remember him, he comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, good rabbi, and he's like, Jesus gives him a little play on words, who's good, only God's good. Whoa, maybe I'm God, right? He says, what, what must I do to, to achieve eternal life? And Jesus goes through some of the commandments, but not all of them, right? And he tells him, you gotta do this, 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 on your father or mother, do these things. And the guy's like, dude, nailed it. I've done all those. But See, Jesus left out the most important ones. Thou shalt not have no other God but me shall not make for themselves a false idol." Because Jesus knew where this guy was sick. He knew that this guy had put all of his hope and all of his life and all of his dependence on his stuff and on his wealth. And so Jesus, as rabbis, great rabbis do, he set him up with one thing and then slaps him down with another. But when the guy said, I've done all those things, Jesus didn't go, oh gosh, I can't believe you missed the big three. I can't believe you missed it. He, he, oh, you're such a bomb, man. You never went to school. He goes, says, "I, he loved him. Jesus saw him in his sickness and he goes, oh, I love you. Says, so this is what you need to do. You need to sell all your possessions, everything you got, and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Because Jesus knew where he was sick and he knew what he needed to do. He knew that his God was his stuff and he would never follow Jesus if he still said, this is what will control me. This is what my hope is in. Do you remember what the, the young man did? He says he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, sometimes when, when we actually listen to God, God's gonna call us to do something that's outside of our comfort zone. God's gonna say, hey man, in order to get you on the right path, I'm gonna need you to go this direction. Th- this morning at, in the grow hour, we had the growth track class and it's the first Sunday step one, the membership class. And we, we tell the story of the church and who we are and who I am and where we're going and things like that. Somebody asked me the question today that not every time people ask this, but are you going to be moved? She knew enough about Methodist churches that she knows that they're moved periodically, and she says, "Are you going to be moved?" And I said, "Well, interestingly enough, no." How come? Well, I'm not a real pastor. Partly true. You're like what? (laughs) I'm out of here. I'm not a fully ordained elder in the Methodist Church, and and I made a decision. Well. God told me something. See, I, fully ordained elders in the Methodist Church are guaranteed a job somewhere at some church in their conference. But when the bishop calls them and says, I need you to go to the valley, you go to the valley. You don't have a say in the matter. That's what you do. And so I went and I got my degree. I have my master's of divinity. I spent the three years in the Covenant Connection program where you do all this writing. And you do all these interviews and they try to trip you up on theology and ask you about justification and sanctification and all the Asians and, and all these different things. And, and I went through all of this process. I was at the point where all I had to do essentially was get down on my knees and have the bishop put his hand on me and say, you're a fully ordained elder, Reverend Crocker. Woohoo! And God goes, but that's not your path. That's not what I want for you because I was stirring inside and I was like, I, I, I want to serve you, but, but I'm called here and grace is in a good place. And so Jenna and I prayed about it and we made the decision for me to pull out of that. And I called the bishop and I said, Bishop, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not gonna be fully ordained elder. And so I'm a local pastor is what I'm called. I have all the rights and responsibilities and powers of an elder just right here on this campus. I'm not guaranteed a job, but I also can tell the bishop no. When I made that decision, I went and told my mentor pastor, who's now the district superintendent, and I told all the different elder pastors who were were part of that covenant connection process. And Greg, who was my mentor, was the only one who said, I'm proud of you. The rest of them said, you're making a bad mistake. This is going to ruin your career. This is a horrible decision. I can't believe you're doing this because for them, it was the wrong move. For them, it sounded like something crazy and it was, but if I hadn't listened to God on that, Debbie wouldn't be in my life the way she is. I hadn't listened to God and obeyed, if I hadn't heard the wonderful counselor say, that's not your path, I know this doesn't sound right, but this is your path walking. it, I would have missed that light in my life and in my wife's and in my daughter's, my son's. And I would have missed all of you because I wouldn't be here. I would be at some church, who knows where. I would have missed the love that I have for all of you in this place. Sometimes it takes great strength and courage, and I don't claim to have much of it, to bear ourselves to God, to listen and to obey. But if we truly believe that he is a wonderful counselor, the Pele Yaets. Then what else are we to do? So if you find yourself tonight in a place of questioning, of of wonder, of how am I going to make it through? Of I'm stuck. I'm sick. I have good news. He knows. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're lost. He knows where you're stuck you're stuck and he just wants you to say God can we talk so father I pray that you would give us all the strength and the courage to be people who hear from you who are honest who listen who do what you tell us Give us the strength and the courage to give our lives over to you. Give us the strength to be people who who say, no longer will I live my life my way because that's not working out so well. Today, I choose to give control to you. Father, I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In front of you are the the ushers of four. We're about to do the offertory and it's big Be Rich Sunday remember that these connection cards that we have these new ones there's the prayer requests on there um, as well if if, if you change information but there's also decisions to commit my life to christ renew my commitment or or to talk to a ministry team member and if if you did any one of those three things if you did one of those two and you want to or you want to talk with somebody please check it and put it in the offertory plate as it comes by we're not going to hassle you i promise that but there are next steps to take as you begin this journey. If it's the first time that you've engaged with a relationship with Christ, or maybe it's a hundredth or a thousandth time, but you wanna go what deeper, check that box and let us reach out to you.